You are listening to the Smaller Your Hunting podcast, the podcast dedicated to just anything and everything that is the white-tailed deer. You know me, I'm Ty Miller, your host, founder, and the voice of smalllegerhunting.com. You are the ones that made this turn from a blog to a website to a YouTube channel to everything that it is. So hopefully you find this new venture, this new consistent delivery of information via the podcast useful. But less chatting on the intro, more chatting on the topic. Let's get this episode started. Let's talk whitetails. Hey guys, welcome to this episode of the Smaller Your Hunting Podcast. If this is your first time checking out the podcast, first of all, welcome. Thank you for stopping by. I'm a little bit different from a lot of other podcasts that you have out there. This is all self-funded. You're not going to hear any segments or commercials or sponsors, mainly because I haven't ever pursued them. I feel like oftentimes in this industry, everything's bought and sold for, so you're not going to get that from me. You're going to get unfiltered, no sales pitch. If I believe it, I'm going to share it. So that's first and foremost. Secondly, I'm really excited about this episode specifically because I believe what we are going to discuss today has been arguably one of the sole reasons why once I started kind of understanding this and and leaning towards the direction of these two things, my success shot up. This episode, we're going to discuss when patience and persistence collide. Let's talk whitetails. All right, let's get this thing started. I am extremely excited to bring you this episode because I think this is something that I'm really passionate about talking about. Honestly, everything that has to do with whitetails, I could talk about forever, but this is something that I believe everybody needs to understand and begin to mold and wrap their head around because I I feel like this approach to hunting, this concept, you know, we hear everybody say you need to think about the wind, you need to do all this, you need to be all this, you know, and it's fine. I think there's often times where a lot of us, we know what we should be doing, but we can convince ourselves of otherwise. So quick little update. If you've been listening to the podcast, you've been watching on Facebook or following me on social media, I'll be honest, the website doesn't even illustrate it yet. Um, I'm terrible about updating that with my everyday life, the build job and everything like that, and just having a kid. Um, But anyways, I saw success already this year, and it had a big part to play with this. So uh, I killed a clean 10-pointer on November 2nd, if I remember right. Let me pull up the calendar here. Yes, November 2nd. And part of the reason was because of patience and persistence. So I know those two words may seem counter, like they're going to, they're like, like magnets that don't connect. They're going to push away. You know, they're, they're, they're just going to repel each other. But in reality, they're not. It's a mindset. You have to be persistently patient and patiently persistent. We know we shouldn't hunt certain stands with the right with certain winds. But sometimes, man, I got a day to hunt. I don't get many of those. If if you're like me, you don't get many of those anymore. Maybe you got a job like mine. You don't even have vacation time right now because you just started a new one. Maybe you're working two jobs. Maybe you just got a really big family, busy family, and you know what? You just don't have that much time, so you got a day to hunt. 
but the wind's not right. Situations aren't right. Weather's not right. Timing's not right. So, we go in anyways. Well, you can't kill him from the couch. You can't catch a fish unless you lure in the water. Whatever sayings your grandpa has taught you, you, you kind of throw that through your head and you justify going out there. And I believe Don Higgins is spot on when he says the number one factor in, in, in having big bucks on your property is minimizing human intrusion. Especially if you're after mature bucks. Now granted, I'm not after world-class whitetails like he is. Every now and then I get one. I, I put Cicero in a world, you know, you hit Booner, you're a world-class whitetail. In my, honestly, you hit five and a half, six and a half years old, you're a world-class whitetail. That's a extremely mature buck. It just may not have the genetics to grow 170 inches or more, you know, 160 inches, 200 inches. But we, 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 in that instance, are a negative human intrusion. I mean, any kind of human intrusion is negative, but we are choosing to go forth and push the envelope. You're not being patient. And persistence is crucial in continuing to be patient and make the right decisions throughout the entire year. So the clean 10 was an example where we've been patient. We, 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 the main reason why I've actually been hunting that property as much is because we have more wind options there, but we've been seeing deer. We've been seeing a lot of deer actually, but I've been patient in moving into the right stand location to where I had the highest chance for a buck. Um, a buck worthy of shooting, in my opinion, which varies from person to person. I actually had purposely chosen, and then Pops actually went back to another stand, but I kind of was playing it uh, patient and, and put myself in situations where I wasn't pushing the envelope. I waited for the perfect wind, and I would hunt this stand. It just so happened that we had multiple of those situations. And on it was like October 12th or 13th, I hunted this stand and I had a nine pointer. I believe he was just a two and a half year old come in. Great two and a half year old buck. Really good two and a half year old buck. He may have been three and a half. I don't know. But I passed. I got some video of him. I wish I would have had my camera on, but I didn't. But got some great video. And another aspect of the patience is at this stand. Now, there are some stands, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hopefully have Jake Ellinger on to talk about this because he actually touches on it in a video that he posted uh, not too long ago, is there is an art form to where and when to harvest does, I believe, off your property. There are some spots on my property or times of the year that I don't want to harvest a doe. I am not going to disturb my property unless it's for a mature buck that I feel worthy of tagging. In this stand location at this property, I'm not a big fan of shooting a doe. I especially don't want to shoot a doe in the morning retreating back into the bedding area. At night, I would be more preferable to shoot one because given the impact spot, if I wait for them to get out into the edge of the field, most likely if I shoot them, their escape route's going to take them down this long trail to where they've got to go at least 100 150 yards before they're going to be able to cut across this gully. 
And if they're shot, most likely, they're not going to make it across it at that point if I did my job. A deer's not going to be able to spin around and cut back through the 20-foot opening. They're going to loop. You know, we all see them. They kind of do an arc. So even if they loop back kind of the direction they go, but it's like one big circle. But if a deer's retreating into that opening and then on into the sanctuary, I, I'm, I'm not going to shoot a deer because it's going to run right directly forward and then start peeling and be in the sanctuary so I, I don't shoot a doe there so that's another aspect of where i stayed patient i shot my antlerless deer totally on the upper part of the property where we don't expect to be uh, a lot of big bucks to roam it's it's a spot that we can get in and out really easy and if we do our part that deer's got a really good chance of dying in open timber open canopy or on a field edge drive to it drive back so that's another another aspect of it and I stayed persistent in this mindset. I didn't push the envelope. I didn't do anything that was going to be a detriment to my buck hunting. Because, I mean, I'm honest. I'm an honest guy. That's that's one of the main... I love deer. I love to eat it. I'm a meat hunter as well. But, you know, most of the time, if I'm going to just... If I was just looking for meat, I'm going to go kill me a bunch of does. That's just, that's just me. So that was one way that I was patient persistent and when those two things intersect you become a very deadly hunter those days that you can hunt but it's not the best day to hunt you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna go spend time with your family you're gonna get things done around the house you're gonna scout you're gonna try to find other properties maybe you're gonna go scout some public hunt some public slow hunt and scout some public it's a great great concept around it or you know just spend time with your family is always a good thing I think oftentimes during hunting season, a lot of us guys can go completely stupid when it comes to, to being the family guy that we're called to be. But perhaps one of the best examples of this patiently persistent mentality when it comes to hunting is it played out on November. And now again, I'm going to get my phone out because I don't want to misquote. I believe it was November 8th. Yes. So November 8th was this last week. And those of you that follow me on Facebook, you already know the story of this one to an extent. But I didn't have a good wind to go hunt the bucks I want. So I actually slept in. I have Fridays off. I work really long days Monday through Thursday in order to have Friday off. Plays great out in the in the, in the hunting season. Gives me another day. But with, with, with a little baby at home, mama was exhausted. I didn't have a good wind. I decided I wasn't going to go. I was on daddy duty that morning. And I get a text from Pops, my dad, that said he was going to slip in and hunt the behind the house there at the property I call the homestead where I where I grew up, the property I cut my teeth on. It was it was the whole it was where I killed my first rabbit, my first squirrel, made my first fort, played cowboys and Indians in the creek gold mind air quotes gold mind you know back there it just i have an old campsite back there that you could probably still find the stone circle the fire ring just just an awesome time but yeah pops is like in the blind this morning first time and i said good luck and it wasn't i, I think i sent that good luck at like yeah i'm looking at it 727 Little did I know, not minutes later, Pops was going to shoot the biggest buck of his life. 
the first time in. We hear that a lot, and oftentimes it's by design, it's by choice, it's by a lot of uh, hang and hunt guys. First time's in, always the best. Well, this was a this was a a, a food plot planted with oats and rye and radishes and all kinds of good stuff back there. But it's typically not a really good spot for buck activity until the rut really starts kicking in. Well, here it is, November 8th. We got does coming into cycle. We got bucks dropping. And there was a good wind. Up until this point, Pops knew as hard as it was and as easy it is to just walk out his back door, walk through the backyard, go into the woods. He has a whole access trail cut and he found a couple dead branches that he had to fight through, but which he needs to clear. Well, he doesn't really need to. We're going to be selling that place, but he is. I should say him and my mom. But he fought the urge to hunt that place until now. Until he knew it was it, it was going to be firing on all cylinders and there was there was a chance a buck could come through at any point. Boy did one ever. He was persistently patient in not pushing it back there. So the wind may have been right. But he knew human intrusion of any kind plays a factor on the property's movement, on big buck potential. We leave our presence to some degree, it may be very tiny, but we do. We educate those big bucks long after we even leave the spot. And that spot is pretty foolproof. It is like a tunnel cut through bush honeysuckle that the deer can't even get to. And you break out right behind the blind. Boom, there it is. And in front of the blind, there's so much debris and, and clutter. You can't, when you leave that blind to go to the food plot that you're literally five feet from, eight feet from, you gotta go back all the way around, come down the quad trail, and enter the food plot. You can't just walk out the blind in the front. Like it's it's that good of a spot. It's that easy to get to. But even that, pops didn't want to risk it. He was patiently persistent. And that morning at approximately seven thirty, pops launched a bolt. It's a whole nother story as to what happened and the 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 lighted knock stopped working. A third of the way of the deer and caused him to not remember anything. His brain was trying to compute what just happened, why the light go out, and then by the time he realized he needed to watch where he hit the deer, it was the deer was already moved and he felt like he hit it high and man, it was just it was a long time, but we waited. I'm gonna throw in another piece of advice here. I, I harp on this so much. So he shot that buck, that whole catastrophe with the lighted knock and everything, not knowing exactly where he hit it happens. The deer runs 20 yards to the edge of the food plot. And it's so thick in the understory here that, like, it's it, he, the deer stopped right in the entrance of this quad trail that dumps out into the food plot. Stops. And then walks off. In less than two minutes, Pops hears what he described as thrashing or crashing or, you know, just uncontrolled type breaking through cover or branches it was not a not a not a strategic movement over there and then silence now he didn't convey that little part of the story to me until later on and and that changed my whole thought process but we still and where i was going with this little side discussion is wait 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 
in the discussion with Pops and where he felt like he hit this deer, I have a grid with, like, grid sectioned off, and you can say, well, I think I hit him in A5 or A6 or B5 and B6, like a little four-block square. And that's kind of what we narrowed it down to. And, you know, the bottom ones were going to be back lung or liver. The top ones were going to be really high, maybe miss some vitals, and hopefully hit a main artery. And guts were also an option in the lower ones as well. So knowing that, we waited until 1.30 before we went back to see that deer. To start the blood trail. To just see. If we found guts, we never did find the bolt yet. But if we found the bolt, the plan was if it smelled like guts, we were going to back out even longer. And we weren't going to go farther than where that deer stopped if we can't find good blood. Because we waited. was crucial, but we didn't have to. But what if that deer hadn't been dead? And we bumped it into the next county. It walked just out of sight, bedded down. But we went too soon. The deer's just going to get more dead waiting. So we pick up the trail... And I have it on video. Pops looks up. We, we, we find blood instantly. Or Pops finds blood instantly. And I even could see it. And it, that's a good sign because I'm colorblind. And it was even before. I'm texting my blood tracking buddy. And uh, before we even get to the spot where he stopped, I'm feeling pretty good about the blood. It's really dark red. It's liver blood. So And there was even a little bit of bubbles in one of them. So I'm thinking liver, one lung, which was kind of the best case scenario of what we were hoping for. So now it just depends where at in the liver did we hit. You know, if you if you just hit the liver and not where the line the the lines is what I call it, but where the blood vessels come down off the back and feed it, you're looking at six hours, so we're good. But if you hit that, it from what I've read, the liver gets five to twelve milliliters of blood pumped through it. I think I'm using the right term, uh, milliliters, but I don't quote me on that. But a deer, if it loses 30 to 40 milliliters of blood, it can't really stand. It can't function. It's going to have to lay down. So if he hit that, what he heard crashing could have been the deer crashing to its death. And it died pretty quick. So we get to about where that deer was standing, and Pops thinks he sees something. He, we find some more blood. I think I say something. Then he turns around, and he was like, there he is. There he is. We walk up on him. We walk up on my dad's biggest buck to this date. But it gets even more special, and I'm going to tell the whole story of this place, but that's the biggest buck that either of us have ever killed at the homestead property. And it's the last buck that either of us are going to kill on the homestead property. My parents are selling in the spring. And I cannot think of a better way that God could have ended that chapter for us, that portion of it. We're going to hunt it still. We might shoot a doe together out of it. And if I do, I'll film that entire hunt. And I'll probably cry like a baby when we leave the blind. Because that place grew me. That place molded me. That place blessed Dad because he was patiently persistent in his approach to hunting. He knew that small property behind the house cannot stand a lot of pressure he knew he couldn't hunt it stupidly he knew he couldn't push in he knew he had to wait 
So he hunted elsewhere, or he didn't hunt at all. And he waited. And here I am setting. And it's November 14th, and I haven't moved in on my two biggest bucks because I'm patiently waiting. I've had one wind since October 4th was the last time this wind happened during the hunting season, and I hunted it. I can slide into the bedding area and hopefully make something happen. I've got east winds coming up, and I can finally get into my favorite stand. And Hopefully something will happen. But you can bet I'm going to keep being persistently patient. I'm not going to give in to just my desire to hunt. I'm going to hunt smart. I'm going to stay true. I'm going to stay patient. I'm going to wait for the right conditions and move in. So be patient and be persistent. Where those two things converge, I promise you, if it's not success, it's going to increase your opportunities. I think that's all I got on this episode, guys. Hopefully this discussion is one that kind of you can relate to. I know it's hard. Sometimes being patiently persistent means you just choose not to hunt or you go to a really low probability if you got to get up a tree have some observational stands hung or go sit where the wind is perfect and you're not going to disturb anything and you may just watch through binoculars the deer if you hunt large agricultural areas or just go hunt a new spot on the farm that's probably not going to do you any good but you, you wanted to get up to the tree you wanted to have some tree stand therapy i get it i've done it but stay patient stay persistent Mix those two things together. And write me at smalligerhunting at gmail.com when it pays off for you. This is Ty. God bless and good luck out there. As I already said before, thank you for listening to this episode of the Smalliger Hunting Podcast. Hopefully wherever you find yourself, private, public, big land, small land, New hunter or old hunter, there's something that you've learned. For ultimately, that's all I care about. If you have any topic discussion ideas for the Small Acre Hunting Podcast, be sure to email me at smallacrehunting at gmail.com. Be sure to like and subscribe to all the videos on YouTube. Like and follow the Facebook page. Check out the website from time to time. And as always, stay tuned for the next episode of the Small Acre Hunting Podcast. God bless and good luck out there.